This edition of the USCC Expo Experience on CannabisRadio.com is brought to you by Regulated Solutions, your partner for producing compliant cannabis and hemp brand events. Learn more at RegulatedSolutions.com. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents the USCC Expo Experience. Featuring one-on-one interviews with speakers, exhibitors, and attendees from the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. And now, the USCC Expo Experience, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us here for the USCC Expo Experience here on CannabisRadio.com. Once again, we have another great program for you to enjoy. This week's episode, we have... An interview with Paula Savchenko. She's associate attorney at the law offices of Maffa, Sutton, and Donini. Paula practices primarily in the areas of taxation and administrative law matters as she counsels and represents businesses and individuals in their dealings with government agencies. Now, in our interview with Paula, we talk about the issues involving uh, Floridians and their issues trying to get themselves access to cannabis whether it is through the medical marijuana and where a lot of taxation, regulatory issues have come into play, a lot of restrictive regulations, a very sluggish response by the Florida State Senate to adopt regulations, a lot of issues like that, and all the different obstacles in the way of Florida's medical marijuana market is still expanding quickly, has an astronomical ceiling, projections estimated by 2021 to be $1.3 billion. No stopping the Florida medical marijuana market. Would you want to learn all about that in our interview with Paula? We'll also talk about the issues where dispensaries are pushing to open across South Florida but are limited in their options for new locations with a number of regulations. We'll talk all about that. And also issues where we're trying to see where adult use marijuana might be or adult use cannabis might be available for adults. But how certain bills have been put through the legislature but never got a hearing and never got a chance to be put up for a vote. So we'll talk all about that with here with Paula Sovchenko very shortly here on the program. But first, I want to go and talk to you about a couple of things with the USCC Expo. Some good information that we learned about. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to take a look at the new website, we have a brand new website for USCC Expo. Uh, we've not only been working on a new website, but we've also moved to a super fast, dedicated server with our new trade show partner, Mojo Host. And when we launched the expo beginning of last year, we knew the website was going to need to speed up for what we were doing. The new website is now able to take each event we produce into account and maximize each city connectivity to our hub site and our home page. So you're not only going to realize, so if you're an exhibitor or sponsor, you listed presidents within a website will not go away. And the idea with this new website is to illustrate each city or region's commitment to supporting large scale events such as our show, ensuring we provide a promotable digital presence. So take a look at our website again, usccexpo.com. If you haven't checked it lately. And make sure you register over there. We always have all the information there for you. If you're interested also in any speaking opportunities, sponsoring or exhibiting as well, all that information is there too. You can always chat to one of our team members that's always available to go ahead and reach out to you and talk to you for any questions or queries you might have about what we're doing. Meanwhile, again, August 34th is our next show. We're still waiting for information We'll have everything finalized for our show in Phoenix for coming up, but we'll also we'll be returning to Phoenix in October. Uh, I know there's been word about that we might have a venue change, but we will be in Phoenix for sure this October. Once that information comes to us, we will pass it along to you here on the USCC Expo experience. That said, I don't want to waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get to the interview with Paul Savchenko after this quick commercial break. And a quick word for the USCC Expo here on CannabisRadio.com.
the National Cannabis Industry Association's 6th Annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo returns to San Jose, California's McInerney Convention Center July 22nd through the 24th. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com and take part in the most influential, award-winning cannabis conference and trade show hosted by the cannabis industry's only National Trade Association. NCIA's Cannabis Business Summit and Expo offers attendees three days of engagement and interactive programs. Arrive early so you can participate in our pre-conference workshops and off-site tours. Join hundreds upon hundreds of exhibitors and thousands upon thousands of attendees at NCIA's 6th Annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, July 22nd to the 24th in San Jose, California. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. That's CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches, allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth, cheap skin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z dot com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Welcome back to the USCC Expo Experience, only on CannabisRadio.com. And welcome back to the USCC Expo Experience here on CannabisRadio.com. First of all, before we get started with our feature interview today, what I'd like to just give a quick nod to Robert Friedman, who's the director of the Legal Learning Series and also uh, the, one of the organizers of the Cannabis Lab uh, Series that is being featured at the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo in Miami coming up this August. And one of the featured speakers that is going to be joining us here on the program today is Paula Savchenko. She's an associate attorney at the law offices of Maffa, Sutton, and Donini, PA based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Paula practices primarily in the areas of taxation and administrative law matters as she counsels and represents businesses and individuals in their dealings with government agencies. More specifically, most of her work involves tax and regulatory matters with an emphasis on state and local taxation. So with that said, Paula Savchenko, thank you for being here with us on the USCC podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. A lot of things to talk about when it comes to the state of Florida. Uh, just came back from a conference uh, this past weekend uh, in Coral Gables, uh, down in the Miami area, metro Miami area. And one of the things we talked about extensively with doctors and patients, just the overwhelming issues still with when it comes to decriminalization, when it comes to uh, licensing, being able to get a medical marijuana card, and just the issues with the market itself, all the obstacles are being around with dispensaries or, you know, uh, 
cultivators, growers, and the like, even though we have medical cannabis in play here. But let me get through a couple of things to talk about the Florida medical, mar- medical marijuana market in general, and I want to ask you a quick question about it. But let me go and go through some context so that our audience knows what's going on here in Florida and knows what's been happening. Now, in 2016, Floridians like myself voted and overwhelmingly approved legal medical marijuana loose with 71% of voters in favor of Constitutional Amendment 2. Since then, Florida lawmakers and regulatory bodies have dragged their feet on creating a functioning medical marijuana industry. Now, it took seven months after legalization for the Florida State Senate to adopt regulations. Many advocates and patients were frustrated by the sluggish response and the restrictive regulations. Their primary concerns were the ban on smoking flowers and the requirement for vertically integrated cannabis companies coupled with a cap on the number of dispensaries. Now, Forbes.com explains in an article, quote, In spite of this, Florida's miracle marijuana market is expanding quickly and has an astronomical ceiling, with projections estimating at $1.3 billion in sales by 2021. As we start this year, 2019, the number of active medical marijuana patients grew to over 168,000 patients, making it easily one of the biggest medical marijuana markets in the country. Now, Governor Ron DeSantis said at a press conference this past January, quote, what the Florida legislature has done to implement the people's will has not been done in accordance with what the amendment envisioned. Whether they, the patients, have to smoke it or not, who am I to judge that? I want people to be able to have their suffering relieved. I don't think this law is up to snuff. So, Paula, my question to you to start off is, how do you view all these business uh, legislative obstacles? How difficult has Tallahassee made the cannabis industry uh, and their move forward? How hard have they made it? Uh, very difficult. Very difficult. Everybody that's involved in the industry will probably agree with that. Um, and and understandably so from some perspectives, because we are a new state on this side. You know, um, everybody's got to get, you know, you got to kind of got to walk before you can run. Right. And they wanted to start it off with the limited license cap of five licenses. And that was for multiple reasons, one of them being because it would be such a heavy burden on Department of Health, the agency that administers the application process, to go ahead and vet all of those applicants and um, bring on those licenses because there is also a two-year approval process. So that's one of the main reasons. And I think another reason is because although we did overwhelmingly vote for medical marijuana in Florida, I think that the majority of people and businesses that do support this do not want to see our market open up the same as it has in say California and they don't want to look like a Venice beach, which some people may or may not agree with. But I think that that's two of the main reasons that it has become so difficult um, from there. And we are working through it. Our market is significantly, you know, has significantly opened up. We had 14 licenses on board up until this week, actually. We just had an additional eight licenses open open up, making that 22. And um, the Governor DeSantis and Department of Health has said that they're trying to move through it quickly to bring more licenses on board the next seven. We would hope so. I mean, one of the things I could tell you that when we were first starting just the network itself the issues that we heard from some of the early conferences that we were part of hosting, the fact of the matter is we had people that were looking to, you know, sell property to cannabis growers because of the real restrictive regulations on having to have a property that's been solo owned for 25 years plus, 
uh, the issues when it came to even with uh, the Charlotte's Web strain being allowed in 2014 and Governor Rick Stock signing the law on that and only six dispensaries around the whole state were able to go ahead and handle the supply and demand for that. It's crazy. Now, to go along and expand on that. In a recent article by Daily Business Review, they wrote that medical marijuana dispensaries are pushing to open across South Florida, but are limited in options for new locations by local regulations and almost blanket inability to open in mortgage buildings, attorneys and brokers working with dispensaries and landlords working with dispensaries and landlords said, uh, we've been hearing from people that talk about, you know, how there's a supposed idea of churches that maybe if they're not churches, there are certain regulations that, you know, besides the normal things where not having prior dispensary near a school or certain businesses, things like that. Now, this has left the 14 licensed medical marijuana operations in Florida, which under state law are required to do everything from grow to package and sell, tussling over the available sites. Now, you wrote about this article on the subject uh, as a subject for the September 2018 Administrative Law Section Newsletter. Paula, can you share with me any details on the situation local and state-wise from what you've been observing? Yeah, sure. Um, so on your first point about the landlords not being, you know, it being difficult for these license holders to find locations to have dispensaries, um, the main reason for that being is because you typically have to find a business that, or sorry, an, a landlord that has full ownership because the mortgage the mortgage agreements with the banks say that you cannot do anything that's against the federal law. Well, unfortunately, medical marijuana and recreational marijuana are not legal at this point, so that would break those landlord-tenant agreements with with those landlord-tenant agreements would break that contract that they have with the bank. So that's why you're seeing such a big issue. Um, another reason that you're seeing an issue is because some of the localities have implemented either complete bans on dispensaries in their areas, which they are allowed to do, or they have limited um, how many or where they can be, which is kind of um, a little bit of a gray area on how they can and can't do that and whether they can. So they do have some, the localities do have some power written into the Florida law 381-986 instructing them that they can go ahead and either ban medical marijuana dispensaries or they can allow them in, but they're required to treat them and regulate them the same through ordinances as they do pharmacies. So some localities are doing that. Some are kind of taking advantage of it um and we you know soon we'll move through that um and and we have been also as far as the um i think that you were talking about a little bit about the administrative court challenges we've also been seeing you know a lot of administrative court challenges and i would say about half of the current license holders maybe even more have gotten their licenses through administrative court challenge, challenging a denial of a license or challenging a rule. And they've came out on the other end, either, you know, either through a settlement agreement or from an administrative law judge instructing them to go ahead, instructing Department of Health to go ahead and um, grant a license award. So we did just see uh, eight new licenses come on board through settlement through the governor's office this week also. That's fantastic. Well, at least there's, there's some move uh, along. But now one thing I was really surprised by, now we know from the 2016 election, we saw that medical marijuana overwhelmingly, even if it was going to be adult use, it would have passed this law. 
They actually went past the ballot for whatever reason it didn't happen this, or actually it was 2018. But now, this session of the 2019 Florida legislature, they actually had two bills. The House had Bill 1117. Companion bill was from the Senate was Bill 1780. It was actually... These bills were actually able to go ahead and sought to allow adult use marijuana use for adults, and it died without a hearing. I don't think mm-hmm. I even saw anything written or talked about it in the press. So mm-hmm. what do you know about the bills? Would they have been beneficial, and why were they denied a vote on the floor? Um, yeah, so that's really unfortunate. I agree with you, and um, I would have liked to see those go through. Yeah. Um, You know, I think it is a step in the right direction that we do have members of the legislature that are willing to sponsor those bills to begin with. Um, Because as I said, I think that the biggest issues are, one, education. A lot of people just don't know that, first of all, there's so many people that don't even know medical marijuana is illegal in Florida. Right. Second of all, everybody has this kind of misconception in their mind of, oh my God, I don't want to have a dispensary on every corner of the, you know, every corner of my city. I, I don't want to have a Venice beach and that's kind of the misconception. And it's unfortunate because when you walk into these dispensaries, you see that they're legitimate businesses, that they don't have flashing signs all around. They actually can't even have flashing signs because of the law. Um, and, you know, I think with more education and once once more people understand that that we do have regulations in place to make this safe and we are helping patients, um, that they will be more on board. And I think that eventually with more and more acceptance, and I think that the hemp, the 2018 Farm Bill has really helped to move that process along to allow for more acceptance across the board. I think that we'll see more support for that. Right. Let's go ahead and talk about that. Now, several bills are circulating in the House and Senate to administer a state hemp program, make the plant an an agricultural option for farmers across the state. State would have to submit the plan to the USDA, Department of Agriculture, apply for primary regulatory authority over the production of hemp, plan would also include testing procedures, certification methods, inspection plans, corrective actions for farmers who may be in violation. So analysts are saying Florida farmers would benefit economically the opportunity to plant, process, and sell hemp and hemp-based products. So with these bills, hopefully everything being put in place, with the hemp bill now in place, with you know the state hemp program being put into place, to have this as another crop. Where do you see hemp farming in Florida coming up? And does the state have the right conditions geologically and legislatively to make this all reality and, and make a cash crop here. Yes, 100%. I'm very excited that we're now going to have a full-on hemp program in Florida. That's not just the pilot programs that are being administered by the state universities. So under the 2014 Farm Bill, um, the the our Congress instructed states to go ahead and pass legislation if they wanted to to allow for pilot programs, which means that you can cultivate, a business can cultivate hemp if they're doing it under a research program, either with Department of Agri- the State Department of Agriculture or the university. Florida chose to, uh, um, the law in Florida basically instructs the university to pick pilot partners to go ahead and cultivate with them. And that's FAMU and UF in Florida. Now we have the 2018 Farm Bill passed that has significantly opened up the market and now has allowed has descheduled hemp from the Controlled Substances Act 
which has put it under the per which has put CBD products under the purview of the FDA, which does require more regulations, but it has significantly opened up the market now. So it's great from a business perspective. Um, in Florida, we, as you mentioned, we do have several bills that are making their way through, and I'm positive that one of those is going to pass. So we will have 2018 implementing legislation in Florida, which is great. And that legislation is instructing our uh, our our State Department of Agriculture, Nikki Freed, to go ahead and move forward with a plan for our state that she's going to submit to the USDA for approval. Now, the USDA will not be accepting any plans until they have their own regulations in place, but they are on board. They are moving that quickly, and they said they'll have that in place by fall of 2019. So we're going to see all of this roll out very soon. In 2018, the National Cannabis Industry Association saw a 60% increase in congressional co-sponsorship of their priority legislation, the federal legalization of hemp, as well as the election of a new Congress expected to be more cannabis-friendly. NCIA will host our ninth annual Cannabis Industry Lobby Days, May 21st through 23rd in Washington, D.C. Join in advocate for our industry and forge a unified front with the industry's most politically engaged leaders. NCIA members from across the country descend on Capitol Hill for our annual Lobby Days event to tell their stories and advocate for federal reforms needed for our industry to reach its full potential. Make your plans now to be at the National Cannabis Industry Association's 9th Annual Cannabis Industry Lobby Days in Washington, D.C. Register for Lobby Days and learn how NCIA works to advance the cannabis industry's policy agenda every day at www.thecannabisindustry.org slash Lobby Days 2019. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads, make genuine business connections, and get premier brand exposure? This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Welcome back to the USCC Expo Experience, only on CannabisRadio.com. Now you, just a quick callback, because you dropped the name Venice Beach, and that's, that's in California. So uh, give me an idea of what's going on, because I know there's been some issues where there's a ban on vaping and smoking cannabis in LA County itself, and especially on the beaches. So um, can you give me a little bit of relation when you mentioned that, just a Give a little context to our listeners. Um, yeah. So I think that that's kind of the um, California legislature allowing for such an open market and then lo- the localities coming back and not wanting that as much. And and although that was, I think, originally what what they what California did contemplate mm-hmm. such an open market, they kind of 
ran before they could walk, which I think Florida is really trying to avoid doing that. And that's why you see so many more regulations in place. So that's kind of what's going on. Now, are there any cities that you think that might follow the same suit? Because I'm, uh, there are definitely some cities that are much more progressive, much more, and those are very family-friendly oriented and, and very residential and very high-end. So I can imagine there's several cities, especially even in South Florida, especially they might have those that are trying to, probably going to push back on any kind of legislation that will allow vaping or cannabis use in public. Are there any cities do you know of right now, say in Broward or Dade County or Palm Beach, that are looking to try to create that effect? I mean, is that something that might be a problem? Um, I know that there's a lot of talk about vaping in general and banning that in public. Mm -hmm. But um, as far as the marijuana side, uh, written into our law, although we are now allowed to smoke medical marijuana, it still, it cannot be in a public place. So that has been banned from the onset for both vaping and for um, for smoking. So I think that that's not an issue yet until our legislature opens that up and allows for that the use in public places. Yeah, it's a, the double standard with that and the same thing going with uh, with tobacco, which, you know, there's just, there's a little bit, of, that double standard just still comes into play. It's not good and I'm not happy about that, but it's the continuous problems. Now, one of the things I was going to ask you was there was a seminar that you were part of and it was entitled Marijuana Business Law in Florida. Know the salient points of marijuana laws and effectively advise your clients. Was there any, uh, if there was any highlights I can get from you from that that people might have missed? Because I think it would have been fascinating to know because obviously just getting a little bit of a segment of what we were talking about now and more of a larger sense, I was wondering what kind of things you've been talking about lately um, in front of audiences. Yeah, definitely. So um, for that specific seminar, I was talking on two topics. I was talking on medical marijuana business licenses and also taxation of marijuana and hemp. Um, I think that we touched on marijuana business licenses quite a bit. So I'll just talk a little bit about the tax side. Um, So the on the tax side, we have Section 280E of the Internal Revenue Code that basically does not allow cannabis businesses or anyone that's trafficking a scheduled substance to to take necessary and ordinary business deductions. However, they can take cost of goods sold into account. So although it does create a heavy burden on the tax liability, there are ways to get around that, so to speak, with proper tax planning. Now, great news for anyone that's in the hemp industry. Now, with the passage of the 2018 Farm Bill, as long as you're in compliance with that, you know, because hemp is now descheduled, you no longer have any of that 280E liability and you can operate as a normal business and take necessary and ordinary business deductions, which is great news. It's fantastic. When it comes to taxes, I know that your law firm is very extensive. By the way, great website, floridasalestax.com. Love that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you. We also have MSD tax law and that's what we do most of our uh, marijuana and regulated substances work under. Okay, so uh, real quickly, uh, please take a minute to go and talk to me about, um, for those that might be interested in any legal consultation or advice uh, before we get a chance to meet you in Miami, um, talk to me a little bit about what you've been doing lately with Moffa Sutton Danini, what you're able to offer in terms of services for cannabis owners, dispensaries, cultivators, and the like. 
Yes, definitely. Um, so we are an administrative law firm. We Our primary practice area is tax defense and tax planning work. Um, my niche practice area within that is consulting and representing marijuana and hemp businesses on registration, application, and tax planning in defense. So if you would need help with any of that, I would be happy to have a call with you. Um, my contact information is on our website, msdtaxlaw.com. Excellent. Uh, one of the things to also talk about as well is that for those of you that might be interested, we mentioned about the Legal Learning Series, that's presented by which is uh, the Cannabis Lab Florida. They make uh, regular uh, speaking engagements, and you can find out more information about that, legallearningseries.com. I know Paul is one of the speakers that's featured in the series. And hopefully you'll get a chance to catch them if you're in the in the Florida area, South Florida specifically, if you want to go ahead and uh, be a part of that series and go ahead and attend. But more importantly, I hope you'll go ahead and attend and join us for the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo, which C-Lab will be a part of this year. And we're very thankful to have them joining us. And hopefully, Paul, we'll have you, have you there as well. And uh, I'm pretty sure we're looking forward to having you there as well. And uh, just a matter of what we get to talk about and uh, what we'll have you talk about. We'll update our listeners when we get that all set up. Definitely. Yes. C-Lab Cannabis Law Accounting Business is one of my favorite networking and learning series to go to. So if you're ever in Fort Lauderdale or Miami area, definitely check it out. Um, and also, I'm looking forward to your guys' conference. I came last year and it was great. So I'm really looking yeah. forward to it and being a part of it this year. Absolutely. So again, FordaSalesTax.com, MSDTaxLaw.com to go and reach out and call on her team. And that concludes this episode of the USCC Expo Experience here on CannabisRio.com. Again, just a reminder to all of you, you have the chance to educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. If you're looking for some highly concentrated discussions, along with thousands of industry professionals, hundreds of great speakers, experts in various fields, legal, medical, professional, business, then you need to go and join us August 3rd and 4th this summer in Miami, Florida, for the return of the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo, you can register now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. And join us at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in downtown Miami. Thank you again for joining us. You can download past episodes of the USCC Expo experience by going to cannabisradio.com, subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.